This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. You know, we don't always see things for the gift they are, at least not right away, right? Not when they're first given to us sometimes. Uh, take, take naps, for example. Let's say, I better clarify hypothetically, uh, that I was able to arrange for you to take a nice long nap this afternoon. And not like the five, ten minute power nap. I'm talking like two hours drooling all over kind of nap uh, in a quiet, secluded room. And we're going to take care of all your responsibilities. Work, kids, whatever it may be. Got it covered. We may even shovel your driveway. If, if people are raising their hands saying, hallelujah, Amen. Oh, no, someone was actually doing that. Um, and then the rest of you joined in because you're like, wait a second, he might be serious right now. We might be having a drawing at the end of service. You, 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 you'd take me up on that gift, wouldn't you? Like, let's be honest. If we did a raffle to pay for more carpet tiles or something and we gave away a nap, you'd probably chip in some money for that, wouldn't you? You'd pay good money for a nap. But that wasn't always the case, was it? We didn't always see naps that way. Like, think back to when, um, that time before you can actually remember, but that, uh, that time when you had the ability to not to just take one, but, but two, maybe even three naps in a single day, right? You, you probably thought that, that was torture. Or um, think back to kindergarten, and hopefully you, like me, you had the chance to take a nap in the middle of the day in kindergarten, but yet we, we thought we were being punished. Like, why can't that be one more recess? There's so many better ways to use that time. We didn't view it as a gift at first. And I think the same is true of the spiritual practice of Sabbath. This weekly rhythm of rest, uh, dreading this this obligation with outdated uh, restrictions rather than delighting in this gift given to us by God. Think about this. um, Think about Mark 2 when the Pharisees they, um, the Pharisees got all bent out of shape all the time. Uh, but this, in this passage, they got all bent out of shape because Jesus' disciples, they weren't following Sabbath by their rules. They, were, they weren't doing it the right way. And you remember what Jesus said to them? He said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. Sabbath is, as Abraham Herschel writes in his book on Sabbath, the most precious present mankind has received from the treasure house of God. Sabbath is a gift. And the more that I have read and, mind me, very imperfectly practiced Sabbath over the last year as part of the way, the more I've come to see it as a gift. The more I've come to appreciate the gift and delight in the gift, but not just that, to delight in the giver of the gift. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for us. And so this morning, we're going to continue our series, the spiritual rhythms of the Psalms, right? These these practices, these disciplines that guide us in deepening our awareness of God and our affection for God, right? Guiding us in our pursuit of Jesus by looking at the gift of Sabbath here in Psalm 92, And this morning is going to be, we're going to break this into two parts here. The first is going to be more theological in nature, Uh, gaining a better understanding of Sabbath from this psalm, this song of the Sabbath, as the header reads, a psalm that was uh, believed to have been sung uh, during, uh, on the Sabbath, as part of their weekly liturgy. 
And we're going to see both the, the reason for Sabbath, right, what it is and why, and we're going to see the result of Sabbath, um, what it does both when we reject this good gift from God and when we receive this gift. And, and then the second part is going to be a bit more practical in nature. And I want to give you some steps to help you live out this practice, to experience and experiment with it, and ultimately enjoy it in delight, not just in the gift, but the giver of the gift. And so first thing I want us to see here in Psalm 92, I want us to see the, the reason for Sabbath, as the psalmist shows us, kind of both the, the what and the why of Sabbath, because I think, I think what we're going to see here is very different from the caricature that we have in our minds, this, this list of unnecessary restrictions that like, it's created by a bunch of fundamentalists, right? Those that, one, don't know how to have any fun, and so, B, they don't want anyone else to have any fun. That's what Sabbath is about. It's about not having fun. At least, that's sometimes what we think, isn't it? We can, we can nod our heads a little bit. But that couldn't be any further from what Scripture says about Sabbath, especially here in this psalm, the song of the Sabbath. Which shows us that Sabbath, it's all about delight. It is about delighting in God. And the first thing that I want us to see here in these opening three verses is that Sabbath is delighting in who God is. Right? Delighting in who God is. Look at here with me. Psalm 92. Look at these first three verses. It says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. Amen? It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. And much like we saw with worship a couple of weeks ago, Sabbath is a response, right? It is a response to who God is, leading us to delight in who God is. And he shows us here how, like, Sabbath includes an aspect of worship, giving God thanks, singing the praises of his name, not just with our voices, but with our instruments, right? The lute and the harp and the lyre in their day, keyboard and guitar and, and drums in our day, violin when Rincey's up here. And it leads us, not performing for us, but leads us in delighting in God, declaring that he is loving, declaring that he is faithful, and doing this always throughout the day, morning and evening, it says. And this gift, the gift of this day, it is it is good. It is a, a good gift. It is good for us to Sabbath, a, a word that in the original Hebrew simply means to cease, to rest, to rest from our work. Having been created in the image of a God who Genesis 2 says finished his work and rested from all his work, delighting in his very good creation and blessing the seventh day and making it holy, making it sacred. This is a good day, isn't it? This is a good day. It's a day that is set apart from the others. It's not meant to look like the others. It's a day set apart to worship God, to delight in God and declaring who God is. But like worship, Sabbath is also about delighting in what God has done. And that's what we see in these next two verses. Look at verse 4 and 5 with me. He says, for you, O Lord, you have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your, your thoughts are very deep. And part of worship is, is telling stories of all God has done, the works of his mighty hands. As, and we saw this a couple of weeks ago. God, he, he reveals who he is through stories of what he has done. 
praise his name. By revealing his love for us through stories displaying his love. Revealing his faithfulness toward us through stories revealing his faithfulness. Stories that make us glad, that that fill us with joy. And that joy overflows in worship, doesn't it? Delighting in all God has done in the lives of his people and in our lives of our church and in our own individual personal lives, leading us to a deeper awareness of God, deeper affection for God, standing in awe of a God whose whose thoughts are are very deep, whose thoughts, the prophet Isaiah says, are are not my thoughts. His thoughts are not my thoughts. His, His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And so, if you're here this morning and you're like, I want more of God. I want more of God in my life and I don't know what to do. Tell me, tell me the steps that I need to do. Sometimes it's not about doing. Sometimes it's not about doing more. Sometimes it's about doing less. Now I got your attention, don't I? If you're wanting more of God and you're wondering what you need to do in order to deepen your awareness of God and your affection for God, I want to invite you to just simply delight in who God is and what God has done through the weekly rhythm of Sabbath. Resting and worship and enjoying God and his very good creation. But the psalm goes on to describe what I think we could describe as now the the result of Sabbath. Right, the result of both as we're going to see rejecting this gift that God has given us and of receiving this gift. And so let's look first at the result of rejecting this gift of Sabbath here in verse 6 and 7. He says, the stupid man, the senseless man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this, that, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all the evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. And like as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, back to naps. I can't get past the nap. Why? Why would anyone ever reject the divine gift of a Sunday afternoon nap? I'm not talking about those of you with 18 kids running around the house where you just can't simply get a nap in. That's not rejecting it. But rejecting a gift of a nap. Because like, maybe I'm the senseless one. Maybe um, I'm, I'm the one who doesn't know. I don't understand. I kind of like waking up with a pool of drool. It's because we don't know what Sabbath is, what it really is. We don't see it as delighting in God. It's because we don't understand the reason for Sabbath and thereby our need for Sabbath. And that leads us to rejecting both the gift of Sabbath and the giver of that gift. See, what we're prone to do rather than turning to and trusting in God, we're prone to turn to and trust in ourselves, aren't we? Worship the work of our hands seeking to be our own God so that others will praise our name. And that mindset leads us to viewing something like Sabbath, something like rest as a weakness, as a hindrance. It gets in our way. It's an obstacle to overcome. It is something that is optional and really probably something to be avoided. And I don't say that hypothetically, I say that reflectively. Uh, It was true for me as I spent many years chasing a career 
You know, in my uh, 17 years at Motorola, um, do you know how many sick days I took in 17 years? Not one. Not one sick day in 17 years. Mind you, it wasn't because I was never sick. It's because I wanted to be like Mike. I want to be like Jordan. Every time I got sick, it was an opportunity for me to have my flu game like the 97 finals. But I not only viewed sick days as a weakness, I viewed vacation days as a lack of dedication and commitment. We don't take vacation days here. In fact, we work Saturday, Sunday, seven days a week. That's what happens when you're a motor rolling. Yeah. You ain't supposed to get that, Siri. You know, what we would do at the end of the year, for a while, we got to roll over vacation days, and then, you know, they had to do away with that. And uh, so it was use it or lose it. But you know what we would do? We would brag to each other about the number of unused vacation days we had that year. And, and we would wear it like a badge of honor. You, five? You had five vacation days left? I had 15. I had more vacation days left than you even got. See, when you live your life apart from God, as your own God, life may appear as though you're flourishing, doesn't it? As though you're sprouting like grass. But when that hot Palestinian sun beats down, when that hot Arizona sun beats down, man, that grass browns and withers and dies. It dries up. And living a life apart from God, you are doomed to your own destruction. That is the result of your choice of rejecting the gift and the giver of the gift. And think about it. Moses, um, in Exodus 20, we see Moses. He goes up the mountain, right? He goes up to Mount Sinai and he meets with God. And you remember what God gave Moses in Exodus 20 up there? Remember what it was? Ten Commandments. There you go. So he gave him the Ten Commandments. And the first commandment, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay, makes sense. Second commandment, essentially saying, you shall not worship any other gods before me. Okay? Third one, don't take my name in vain. And they're all like little one-liners. And then we get to the fourth, and it's the biggest of the ten. The most he has to say about any of them is in the fourth. And he says in verse 8, he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to keep it sacred, to keep it sanctified and set apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or even your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Our rejection of the gift of Sabbath is at least in part a rejection of the giver of the gift. It's a rejection of God. Our breaking of the fourth commandment, it's the result of breaking the first and second commandments. Worshiping other gods by putting them above God. But what we begin to see over time is that when we do not delight in God, we will be disappointed and devoured by our idols, won't we? Every other God that we turn to and trust in will fail you. In time, it will fail you. It will fail to fulfill the promises that they made to you. They lie.
And so here's the question I want us to ask ourselves. And be honest with yourself. This is not one you have to answer out loud. What's preventing you from experiencing and enjoying this weekly rhythm of Sabbath? And I don't mean this as like a legalistic, fundamentalist pastor up here saying, thou shalt, but, but inviting you to rest and enjoy and delight. What is it that's preventing you from experiencing and enjoying this weekly rhythm of Sabbath? Now, the easy answer is, I'm too busy. The easy answer, it's too hard, especially with kids. I'm too busy. Okay, then let's get to the, the question under the question. Why are we too busy? What are you filling your time with that prevents you from Sabbath? What are you saying yes to that's causing you to say no to more of God? Because in the end, right, Sabbath is a choice. We either choose to receive the gift or to reject the gift. It is a choice. Ronald Rohrhauser, in his book, The Holy Longing, he writes, every choice is a renunciation. Indeed, every choice is a thousand renunciations. Because to choose one thing is to turn one's back on many others. And so what do you need to say no to in order to say yes to more of God? What do you need to say no to in order to say yes to more of God? I think we want more of God. We just don't want it requires to get more of God. And so maybe what we need to want is to want to do it. To want to want. Maybe you step back to want to want to want. I don't care how many wants you got to go back. I just want it to start with a want. To start with a desire. I also want you to know that there's another way to live than working 10 days a week. There's another way to live than not taking a sick day in 17 years. A way that is healthier and more sustainable, dare I say, the way God created us to live. As if he had some foresight in this. And that begins with receiving this gift of Sabbath. Right, receiving this gift. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, but you, O Lord, you are on high forever. Declaring, you are God and I am not. You are the one to be exalted. You are the one to be worshipped because your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. You are the one in whom I delight. You are the one in whom I worship. And this, this reorientation of how we see the fourth commandment and receiving this gift of Sabbath, it comes with realigning our lives with the first and second commandments, doesn't it? Living in response to who God is, to what God has done, and as we prayed before our service, what God has promised to do, living in light of the end of the story, right? He goes on to say in verse 9 and in verse 11, he says, for behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. That, that grass that sprouts up, it will wither, and all evil, evildoers shall be scattered. It says, my eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. We have seen the end of the story. Verse 9 here, though, it, um, verse 9 isn't necessarily original to what was written in this psalm. A uh, very similar passage can be found in ancient uh, Ugaritic texts. And it was originally written in that context of the pagan god Baal describing his victories over his enemies. I mean, they were so close, weren't they? They had the right idea. They had the right end of the story, but they had the wrong God. Because this is describing Yahweh. This is describing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? It's the end of his story, and it's describing his victory. 
And as we begin to live in light of that telos, the, the culmination, the end of the story, we begin to deepen our awareness of God, our affection for God. We begin to see what a blessing it is to live in obedience to God, to, to live the way God created us to live, delighting in God. He says in verse 10, but you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. Right? This is us finding our strength to endure and finding that strength not in our own abilities but in God. Signified by this, this horn like that of a wild ox. Now, um, you guys want a fun tangent? Sure, okay. You're like, he's going to give it to us anyway. We might as well just go with him. So long ago in a galaxy not too far away referred to as Europe, uh, in the 4th century, there was a guy by the name of Jerome. Anybody ever heard of Jerome? Yeah, so Jerome, what he did was he translated a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures, and he translated them into Latin, into what we now refer to as the Vulgate. And verse 10 became interesting. It ended up saying something a bit more like, you have exalted my horn like that of a unicorn. And one of the kids was wearing a little unicorn thing today, and I was like, here's the deal, Jenny. I'm going to talk about unicorns today. And so if you had unicorn on your Pastor Ash Sermon bingo card today, mark that box. Any bingos? Not yet? Okay, we're going to get there. One of them was if I say the word delight more than 45 times today. End of tangent. Back to the sermon. See, not only are we strengthened by God as we live in obedience to his word and his will and his way, we're also refreshed and renewed. Right, with fresh oil. And if you think about it, if you've lived in the desert, like um, your skin dries and cracks and you need something to moisturize. And so this, the, they didn't have CeraVe back then. That's a relatively new thing out of a little thing. So um, oil would refresh and renew your skin in that dry, arid desert. But this strengthening, this renewal is part of what comes with receiving this gift of Sabbath, this gift given us to by God, this, this reorientation toward God, right? Turning to God and trusting in God. It changes the way we live. It changes both where we live and how we live. How we live, meaning like the pace in which we live our lives. And so notice the where. Look at verse 12 and 13. It says, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord and they flourish in the courts of our God. Now, in the desert, um, palm trees only grow in the oasis, right? They only grow near sources of water, and they are this splash of bright green and vibrant green in a, in a sea of brown. They are a symbol of life amidst barrenness. They are a symbol that is carved throughout the temple in Jerusalem when it was built by Solomon. And the cedars of Lebanon, they were, they were symbols of strength. Right? Strength, and they were used in the construction of the temple. Like, both were present there in the house of the Lord. They were present in the presence of God because that is where we find life. That is where we flourish. That is where we are strengthened and sustained. It is in the presence of God. Amen? But we also see here not just where to live, but how to live. The the pace at which we should live. Verse 14 and 15, it says, they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. It's showing us the benefit of this 
slowing down the pace of our lives. As N.T. Wright once said, it is only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. If you're a racing fan, you get that like sometimes you need to slow down and go faster. Slow down going into that corner and you'll fly by everybody. And we can catch up to God, who's actually patiently waiting on us with open arms. And living at a more sustainable pace with this regular rhythm of Sabbath and rest, it enables you to bear fruit. Not just when you're young, not just when your knee doesn't hurt when you ran, but even now when your knee is hurting right now. That's why I'm limping. It allows you to bear fruit even to your old age after the gray hairs have started to come or fall out entirely, either way. It enables you to be ever full of sap with life continuing to flow through your veins, ever green as a life lived there in the oasis of that presence of God, declaring that the Lord is upright, that he's the one to be exalted high forever, that his ways are true, his thoughts are pure. He is the rock, the foundation on which we build our life because there is no unrighteousness in him. He alone is perfect and holy and good. He's God, we are not. This is the result of receiving the gift of Sabbath, of living out this weekly rhythm of delighting in God, the giver of the gift, of slowing down and resting in his presence. Not just facing the limits of our humanity, but embracing them. Our limits are not an accident. Sabbath was there in Genesis 2 before Genesis 3, wasn't it? It's declaring that he is God and we are not. It is declaring that he is infinite and we are finite. And this is why God, God didn't give 10 suggestions atop the mountain, did he? He didn't give 10 recommendations. No, he gave 10 commandments because he knew this is what we needed This is how we were made to live in the image of a God who rested on the seventh day. This is what enables us to endure. This is what enables us to ultimately finish well, finishing the race and keeping the faith, as Paul told Timothy. Standing before Jesus one day and having him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. We're going to take her off. Here's the thing, as a follower of Jesus, like, I want to finish well. As a husband, I want to finish well. And I kind of have in my head, like, I want to finish well with Jill, like, right at the same time, we're going to go out notebook style, if you know what I mean. I want to finish well as a father. I want to finish with my boys still by my side at the end. I want them to be the ones praying over me as I go with Jill next to me, notebook style. And as a pastor, I want to finish well. And that seems really rare anymore, doesn't it? I think that's why I respect pastors like Eugene Peterson so much. I unapologetically read a lot of him and say a lot from him. Because he ran a good race. He kept the faith and he finished well. Because you know what I don't want to be? I don't want to be another story on Julie Royce's blog. 
I'm fine with a nameless headstone that simply says faithful pastor. Name doesn't matter. His name matters. Amen? But all of that requires a more sustainable pace. All of that requires receiving this gift of Sabbath. But I don't just want this for me. I don't just want this for Jill and the boys. I want it for you. I want it for all of you. But I need you to hear me. That means slowing down. Catch your breath for a hot second here. It means slowing down. It means playing the long game. Man, the pandemic has taught us as, it's taught me. I'm not going to speak for Rob and Tim. It taught me to slow down. We don't need to worry about what we're doing today and tomorrow. Let's, let's talk about what we're going to do in a few months. It means slowing down, playing the long game, finding a more sustainable pace as we follow the way of Jesus together. Because some of y'all, you're going really fast. And you're doing a lot of things, doing a lot of good things, but you're doing a lot of things, and hear me, you're going to burn out. And you're going to end up mad at God, or your spouse, or your kids, or yourself. Hear me, if you don't build this regular rhythm of Sabbath and rest into your life, God's going to do it for you. He's going to do it in the form of something that's going to hurt, I think. And he's going to do it out of his love for you. Because he wants you to finish well, too. And I think, I think if I were asked for a show of hands, I think we all want to taste Sabbath. We want to experience that. But I think we're a little scared. I think we're scared of what it is that we might have to give up. And can we just call it what it is? We're afraid of tearing down some idols in our lives, aren't we? We're not sure what to do. We're not sure where to start. And so here we come to the second part of today's sermon, the part where I just want to help you take a step, right? This is, this is about sampling, right? Remember we talked about going around Costco and sampling things? Today we come to station three, and the person is offering us Sabbath. I want us to sample Sabbath here. And so... To help you delight in God, Here, here's what I'm asking all of us. Raise your hand if you're in the room. All of you that raised your hand, all of you that didn't raise your hand, you're still in the room. I'm asking you to try one Sabbath in the month of February over the course of the rest of this series. Just one. Like, we're not going from zero to 100. Don't, don't do a Sabbath what I did with running when I started back up at the beginning of the month. You're going to end up with a hurt knee. Let's just start with one. And I want to invite you to Try to Sabbath from, a, from sundown on a Saturday to sundown on a Sunday. Saturday to Sunday. Enjoy a really good meal Saturday night. Um, I think we have a lot to learn from those um, in the Jewish tradition of Sabbath because so many do it so well. And so like their uh, Shabbat meal, which they would do on Friday night, um, the best ingredients, the best wine, the best food, all of it. A really good meal Saturday night. And then when you're done, I don't know, a really good movie. And I get that we haven't had really good movies in like the last four years. <laughs> but a good movie, a good book, uh, play a board game. This doesn't sound like Sabbath, Pastor Ash. I play board games anyway. Yeah, that's part of God's very good creation. And then, and then get a good night's sleep. And then come and join us for worship, not at 10, but at 9.30 a.m. in the lobby as we pray together. Meet someone new to you. Come in and hear the call. Participate in the call to worship. Worship with us. Afterwards, maybe invite that person new to you. Go out for lunch together. And then when you get home, you know what I'm going to say. Nap to the glory of God. 
that pool of drool, a sign of his grace in your life. And to help you take that step, I want to share um, 10 helpful, I hope helpful, uh, theological, practical aspects of Sabbath that I've learned over the last year as I have read and practiced, imperfectly practiced Sabbath um, as part of the way. These, these are coming from Scripture. These are coming from other uh, faithful Christians. I'm not going to proof text this for you. Um, but I want to give you 10 helpful things that help you delight in God. All of this is going to be on the website in the sermon notes. Uh, so you can write it down, but I'm going to type it out for you if you just go to the sermon page afterwards. So number one, Sabbath is a gift. Say that with me. Sabbath is a gift. It is not an obligation. It is an incredible gift created by God, given to us by God, a gift to delight in. Dan Allender, in his incredible book on Sabbath, he uses that word delight 432 times. I didn't count it. It's about that many, though, because he really wants to get that as the point across. Sabbath is a gift. Number two, Sabbath is a choice. Say that with me. Sabbath is a choice. It means it's not something you have to earn. It is not a reward for your hard work over the last six days. It is something you choose, a gift you must choose to receive. Because here's the thing, if you're always waiting for the right time, if you're always waiting to be caught up, you're never going to Sabbath. Because uh, you're never going to be caught up. You're always going to be behind. There's always going to be more to do. There's always more email in your inbox, amen? There's always more tasks on your to-do list. There's always more mess to clean up. There's always more activities for the kids to participate in. And so saying yes to Sabbath means saying no to other things. And it is this humbling reminder there's always more to do. It's this reminder that our, our work is never complete. It is a reminder, though, that our identity is not found in our work being complete. It's found in being a child of God, adopted by our Abba, our Heavenly Father. And that's why Sabbath is countercultural. Say that one with me. Sabbath is countercultural because you're saying no to things that our culture is saying yes to. It is an act of defiance in some sense against this capitalistic mindset of more, bigger, better, faster. When we're chasing that idol, we can never rest because if we rest, somebody's going to pass us. It is an act of resistance that embraces our limits as finite human beings and declaring we are not God. Sabbath, it values time differently, slowing down, doing less, and delighting more. And it views this day differently. Setting it aside as sacred and holy, set apart for a purpose. Which means that number four, Sabbath is not your day off. Right? Say that one with me. Sabbath is not your day off. I guess you should have said my day off. Sabbath isn't your day for running errands and doing odd jobs. You know why? Because very few of us delight in running errands. Very few of us find odd jobs restful. That's not what Sabbath is about. It's not about that. It's about delight and rest. So number five, that leads us to Sabbath is not just about restricting, but also pursuing. Right? Read that one with me. Sabbath is not just about restricting, but also about pursuing. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton, in her book Sacred Rhythms, writes, the heart of Sabbath is that we cease our work so that we can rest and delight in God and in God's good gifts. So we do stop doing some things so we can start doing other things. And the more that you experiment and experience Sabbath, 
the more you're going to learn what is truly restful and refreshing for you. Number six, that's because Sabbath is unique to you. There's not one way in which we will all Sabbath. Uh, If you delight in baking and making cupcakes and dropping them over at our house later in the afternoon, but you despise grocery shopping, buy your groceries the day before, and then enjoy the gift of baking on your Sabbath. Um, I, I enjoy my long run in the forest preserve on Monday where I try to Sabbath. Some of you are like, pastor's whack, crazy. Uh, and tomorrow I'm going to run about as many miles as degrees Fahrenheit um, is not feeling quite as delightful. But I'm still looking forward to that time with God. What is refreshing for you? But not only is what you do unique to you, when you Sabbath is unique to you. Um, Saturday evening to Sunday evening, please don't hear that as some legalistic thou shalt and you can't ever Sabbath outside of that or, oh my gosh, I only got like four hours of Sabbath in. Great, you, you spent four hours delighting in God on some other night of the week. Because here's the thing, like um, some of y'all work Saturday night shift. I know that because you come in a, to church straight from work. Saturday evening to Sunday evening doesn't work for you. Some of you preach on Sunday mornings. I don't know, I'm guessing. Sabbath doesn't work for you. It's unique to you. But number seven, Sabbath is not just about you. It involves those around you. And so if you're married, if you have kids, like uh, invite them into your Sabbath as much as you're able to. And feel free to invite others as well. Like Invite other friends, invite other family. Uh, one tip, though, if you're going to invite others into your home for Sabbath, can you let them know what they're being invited into? Like, Don't spring Sabbath on them. That's weird. Let's not do that. Let them know. And let me talk to the parents for a second. Um, you're like, this sounds good, Pastor Ash, but like the whole idea of Sabbathing with kids seems impossible. Not just hard, but impossible. It is messy. The other six days are messy. The other six days are hard. Why would the seventh be any different? And like, you know that kind of that idea of like when you come home from a vacation, sometimes you need a vacation from your vacation? When you Sabbath as a family, like, just to be real honest, there's going to be times where you're going to need a Sabbath rest after your Sabbath rest. That's how it goes. But I want to go back to what I said about earlier, uh, about this idea of bearing fruit in old age, full of sap and green, about the pace in which we live. This is about playing the long game. It's something that is, it is this countercultural investment you are making, not just into your life, into your children's life, but future generations in your family, as it bears fruit in their lives, so that your kids might Sabbath with their kids. And so start small. Don't write down Saturday to Sunday, just write down a couple hours. Sabbath together as a family. Start small, it's okay. Please. My, one of my fears before this series, as we talked about six practices, is, is some of y'all being like, I don't do any of these. I don't know how to do these. And the first time I did it, like the first time I did examine Sunday night, like it was terrible. It was awful. It's okay. That's why they're called practices. We talked about that, remember? Practice it. Start slow, build up. It's okay. Because the whole thing is about what? It's about deepening our awareness of God and affection for God. Number eight, enjoying Sabbath, like really enjoying it. It requires intentionality. It requires both planning and preparation. Uh, you, you need a plan. 
What are you going to say yes to? What are you going to say no to? And then you need to prepare. You need to have everything ready. You need to go buy those groceries so you can make those cupcakes. You need to go figure out what movie you're going to watch. Don't, don't be like, well, we're going to watch a movie tonight. And then you sit down and you spend the next hour scrolling through Netflix. That's not restful. We need to plan and we need to prepare. Ruth Haley Bart, she goes on to write, the rest of the week, the other six days, they must be lived in such a way as to make Sabbath possible. It requires living with a sense of intentionality, planning and preparing. And so here's some questions I want to ask you to help you plan and prepare for the Sabbath that you're going to take over this next month. Um, it's really just the who, what, where, when, why questions. That's all. Um, what are you going to do and not do? Right? Identify those things you're pursuing and those things that you're avoiding. How are you going to do it? Like, what do you need to do in order to enjoy this? What do you need to plan and prepare? When are you going to Sabbath? Like, figure out when it's going to be and, and the duration of it. Next, where are you going to Sabbath? Maybe it's at home. Maybe you're going to go on an excursion. You're going to go to the park. You're going to go to the, the lakefront. Uh, you're going to go for a run with me in, in Bussy Woods in 10-degree weather tomorrow. No? No, okay. That's fine. Where are you going to go? Who are you going to Sabbath with? Maybe by yourself, maybe with friends, maybe with family. And last, but certainly not least, why are you going to Sabbath? It's not a rhetorical question, it's a reflective question. Reminding yourself this is a gift from God, delighting in God and his very good creation. That's number eight. Number nine, Sabbath stirs anticipation. You, you begin to look forward to this each week. As you plan and prepare this this. This time of excitement and enjoyment is coming up. You, you want it more and more. And number 10, Sabbath results in reflection. I want us to, you know, we spend time in reflection after receiving God's word. I want you to spend time in reflection after enjoying God's gift of Sabbath, reflecting on how it went, on this blessing. And so some reflective questions to ask afterwards are, um, how did you delight in God? Kind of like with, with, with exam, and just kind of replay all that happened, and give thanks to God for that day, or that evening, or that morning, or that 30 minutes, whatever, whatever it ended up being. Give thanks to God for that. Second, what, what did you enjoy the most? And I ask this because if someone else were to ask you, if you were to like say, like, yeah, I was, we were Sabbathing last week, oh, like, why do you do that? Well, what'd you get out of it? What'd you enjoy about it? And have that answer ready. Next, think about what worked well, and how will you incorporate that next time? Right? Experimenting, evaluating, and evolve. That's what we do here. But then you also got to ask the other side of the question. What didn't work well? And how might you adjust that next time? And don't, please don't view that as failure. It is learning. Right? We're experimenting with this. I have failed nearly every time our families tried to Sabbath. And yet they've been really awesome at the same time. And we're like, well, we're not doing that again like not picking a movie beforehand and spending an hour looking for one that we all want to watch on Netflix together. And like as your pastor, I'm, gonna, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for your family as you take this step into practicing Sabbath over the next month. And uh, here's the thing, when you, when you have a date ready, when you've kind of answered the when, I'd love for you to text me, email me, or share it in the prayer requests. Um, hear me. Not trying to be your accountability partner, not checking up on you, we're not tracking a statistic. There is no spreadsheet involved with this. I simply want to put it on my calendar so that we can be praying for you. Um, and if you have questions, like reach out, ask. Let's explore this together. Sound good? It's not so scary. It's going to be okay. 
Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.